Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Mac Barnett and John Klassen, who've collaborated on three picture books together and are now back with a fourth. Their books Extra Yarn and Sam and Dave Dig a Hole both received Caldecott honors, and they kicked off a trilogy of books about a group of shapes earlier this year with Triangle. This fall, they're releasing The Wolf, the Duck, and the Mouse, in which a mouse gets gobbled up by a wolf, only to discover a duck living it up in the wolf's belly. The book is being published in October by Candlewick Press, which is sponsoring this podcast. Mac Barnett is the author of numerous novels and picture books, including I Love You Like a Pig, Places to Be, Noisy Night, and The Magic Word, as well as the Brixton Brothers and Terrible Two series. Uh, thanks for speaking with me, Mac. Oh, thanks for having me, John. And in addition to his books with Mac Barnett, John Klassen is the Kelcott Medal-winning creator of This Is Not My Hat, part of a series of three picture books that includes I Want My Hat Back and We Found a Hat. He's also the illustrator of The Dark by Lemony Snicket, House Held Up by Trees by Ted Kuzer, and Cat's Night Out by Carolyn Stutson. Uh, thanks for being here, John. Thanks for having me on. So, Mac, there's there's a little bit of like a fable-like quality to this story. Um, I guess um, Aesop's Mouse and the Lion came to mind for me a little bit, in a way, because that's also a story of predators and prey and kind of favors repaid. Um, was that something that was on your mind at all, or did this story get its start in another way entirely? I think that that it in some ways takes the form of a fable and then, then maybe tries to explode it from the inside a little bit. Uh, I, I really like folk tales, fables, but, but especially with, with fables, I, I don't know, my, my favorite fables are probably Kafka's fables, which are uh, sort of strange and, and have a familiar feel, but, but do unexpected things things um and and i think the expectations game is there with fables so much so you think you know exactly what you're going to get then when you depart from that there there's a real uh i think there's a real pleasure to that surprise and i certainly i feel like playing with expectations is something that uh, readers can can see in a lot of your books over the years i you know i think that's right i think surprise to me is the most especially in picture books it's the most important narrative element just because you have those page turns there it, it sort of naturally lends itself uh to surprise more than any other form John, I know that you guys both have the same uh, agent, Stephen Malk. Um, did he bring this idea to you? Or, you know, at this many books that you guys have worked on together, are you and Matt kind of dreaming up some of these projects together on some level? Um, sometimes we are. For, for the last couple of books we have, but this one was totally uh, separate. Mac did it on its own and then... Uh, Steve threw it to me. I think that was how it worked, right, Max? You didn't bring this. Yeah, we did your... this. The, we did this the way it's supposed to work. Um, <laughs> uh, John had already seen the book when it got sent to him to consider uh, illustrating, uh, just because John is is one of like five people who I will show something to before I send it off to a publisher. So John was familiar with the story, but but uh, but then it officially came like from Candlewick through Steve to John um, for consideration that way. Uh, through all the proper channels. Through all the proper to. channels. And then John was like, oh yeah, I, I remember this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a nice book. <laughs> now, now act surprised when this, when this lands on your head. Exactly. <laughs> So Mac, you know, how has uh, your process with working uh, of working with John evolved over the past few uh, books, if at all? Um, you know, this sounded like it, you know, went through the, the, the normal steps in the beginning. But um, how much interaction do you guys have once 
the book, you know, is developing from there. Well, like John and I like interact uh, a lot anyway, which is a nice way to say that that we uh, procrastinate by uh, getting on the phone and and talking <laughs> during the week, so that when we have a project that we're working on together, uh, we we can talk about that project and it feels productive and we can deduct our cell phone bills from our taxes um it's i I think that yeah it's 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 john and i like first became friends because we love talking about books and it's it's a lot of what we do anyway even if we're not working on something so yeah, John, I don't know if I would describe it as as like the process is evolving. It seems like our process is a little different for each book, but but that there's there is a lot of talking and back and forth. There's a shorthand now. I guess yes. I guess the shorthand gets shorter. Yeah. As it would. Um but yeah, I don't know if it evolves or changes. We just kind of have different ways of because the projects are so different, I think from book to book. I, I um I like to think that they are anyway. And so the the references that you're making or the things you're untangling it's not like you can reference other projects. The shapes uh, books are sort of connected, and so we can kind of go over those in a broader way. But these, uh, the Wolf book and the Next Tree Yarn and Sam and Dave are so different that you really are stuck in a local problem, and so all your ways of, of going back and forth and solving them would be totally different from book to book. I realized this was like a bad, like I realized very, very long into our friendship. Like I, I, John and I would both have a deadline and we'd get on the phone and I think it was like kind of mutually assured destruction that we were just like both like, there. oh, the, we both have so much work to do, but uh, we're on the phone, so it's fine. And then at the end of like a three hour conversation, John would be like, all right, great. I finished drawing all my turtles. <laughs> and I realized that like John can draw a turtle and talk on the phone at the same time. I cannot compose a text and talk on the same time. I was I was devastated. It made me actually reevaluate our friendship. Mm. You thought it has undivided attention, and maybe not so much. This this trade off though isn't exactly un, unfair. I think. How long did it take you, Mac? Would you say to write the wolf, the duck, and the mouse? <laughs> like you know, from the time that it was germinating through all of the the revisions, and I, you, you can't put a clock. I'd on like that you to put a clock work, on it John. if you could. <laughs> <laughs> you know, John with an H is asking the questions, not John. All right, we can move H, on. We okay? can move on. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, well, so John, going back to when you first—well, I don't know if I want to say first—when when you read the text and you knew you were going to be illustrating it, what were your reactions? And were there elements that immediately jumped out? And had you starting to think about how you wanted to approach uh, the artwork? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I really love folk tales and fables and stuff too, and so it was. All the artwork associated with that, um, uh, I really like looking at. And it's always something that you, when you, whenever you find um, old folk art or something like that that goes with these stories, it's always so interesting because it's sort of done off the cuff the same way as the stories, the better ones are, where you just feel like there's someone who's kind of trying to keep the crowd entertained around the fire and they just keep making things up and twists and turns so they don't all walk away. And the artwork almost seems like that too, where you can sort of, you see the the contours of things and you see them thinking and sort of building things and adding to it and ad-libbing almost. And this one, I kind of wanted to try a little bit something more uh, messy and a little bit more naive looking. I think my stuff for my own picture books and increasingly the stuff for other people's books uh, is kind of planned out and uh, there isn't a lot of room for messiness. Although Sam and Dave had this kind of quality too, where you kind of see the contours of things around them. You can you, you show your work sort of, and this one I wanted it to look like that, and also sort of just how declarative everybody was, and 
kind of shouting what they were saying and and it sounded like a school play or something and so i wanted it to look kind of like this like the scenery you would make for a school play where the trees are really big and they probably have wooden stands behind them holding them up and like the 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 sky is four feet behind you because it's a curtain stuff like that where you really feel like the the depth to the to the world is only about 10 feet deep it doesn't mean the story is 10 feet deep or that even your immersion into it has to be shallow but i just wanted to but that it's theatrical yeah it is theatrical for sure so you know you know as you sort of mentioned there uh, john the book is a lot of fun to read aloud especially because of all these oh whoa oh me you know exclamations that the characters many of them are using at one point or another um, and the text is also, I feel like, very understated in a way that lets the artwork, you know, or the artist have kind of free reign to a degree. You know, Mac, when you're when you're approaching a picture book, are you are both of those things prominent in your thinking? A, you know, the read aloud experience with children, but also, um, you know, giving the artist uh, space to do his or her thing. Yeah, yeah, the, both those things are, are probably my two primary concerns. I, I started out telling stories out loud to kids. Um, and so picture books particularly I love because they are such a social experience. Like um, they're most often shared out loud by an adult with a child or a group of children. Um, even a lot of middle grade is read out loud, right? That's some of my favorite memories of, of school. But, but um, books for kids, it's often a, a shared experience. Um, and I love telling stories out loud, that sense of, of playing with, the audience's expectations, keeping attention tight, letting it go slack and tightening it up again. Those things are really interesting to me, those rhythms. Um, and yeah, for, for me to get excited and, and embark on a picture book, there has to be a strong visual conceit, like a, a, a reason that this is visually interesting. But how to execute that, um, I want to leave as much space uh, for the illustrator as possible. I always say like um, finishing a picture book manuscript like it's it's finishing an unfinished thing i'm leaving space in there for john to do an interpretation um and then even when john's done there's more interpretation that's going to be done by an adult reading this book out loud because i never do it all the way i never finish my <laughs> yeah because <laughs> john just john just turns it in when he just feels <laughs> like it uh no you know a teacher librarian a babysitter parent is choosing whether or not to use voices or to make jokes or cutting lines of my text or putting page turns where john didn't intend a page turn to be uh, and then in a good book that there's still those blank spots at the very end for, for the kid who's hearing this story to do some interpretation of his or her own. Well, you know, so you know, in the book, you know, the, the mouse winds up in, in the belly of the wolf and there he discovers this duck who's got a bed that's nicer than my bed and a kitchen that's nicer than my kitchen. And, um, <laughs> but the line that I keep coming back to is, is when the, the duck tells the mouse, you know, I may have been swallowed, but I have no, but I have no intention of being eaten. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it always feels like the heart of the book to me, right? For me, at least right there. Like the worst thing has already happened. So what are you going to do next? Like, Mac, is that at all what you were going for? That's the heart of the book for me, too. Um, yeah, that was, that, that was, um, when I wrote that line, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is, this is the story. This is where, this is where, um, this is where these guys are coming from. It's, it's, I mean, the duck is like, he's a real philosopher. Um, but, but also every character in this book is, is put, is pushed to the very brink at some point, um, of, uh, they, every character ends up fearing for their life. Um, and uh, that that sentence got to sort of the the emotional philosophy that the duck emerges um, from from 
his experience with. And uh, John, you know, I know you're a fan of, on Twitter, you're often posting images of other artists' work that you're coming across. Uh, you already spoke a little bit about what you were going for with the look of this book, but were there certain influences, either from the fine art world or otherwise, that might have been in your subconscious when you were, when this book was taking shape? And and I, I guess a separate question is, you know, did the, did the manuscript uh, present any particular challenges you felt like you had to wrestle with? Uh, yeah, so the um, the stuff I was looking at at the, at the time, it sort of I guess you end up looking at stuff that feeds into it regardless of what the, the text is saying. But um, I've been looking at a lot of uh, guys who use a lot of like dry brushes and just big strokes around shapes um, for a little while. I think because it's so different from how I usually work that you're kind of attracted to it and it's just mysterious. Um, but guys like David Milne or uh, Milton Avery who just use these big sort of these big strokes that are really obvious on the page uh, or on the canvas, I guess, for their case. Um, just around subjects rather than the subjects themselves sometimes, which is opposite from how I usually work. And that's this book sort of, although I think it looks like my stuff, it, it is sort of reversed of how it, I normally draw because I usually do a lot of the noise and texture inside the character or the subject. And this one has sort of all the noise around the subjects and the subjects are sort of calm themselves. Um, the uh, challenges in the story as far as like how to stage things and, and how to get around some of the storytelling problems. The biggest one... Storytelling problems? Storytelling problems. Storytelling uh. like like wrinkles in the text that I need to iron out and make it look like there were no problems <laughs> at all. Uh, faults in the writing. Uh, I should say that, that just like John totally did change my definition of the word problem through all of our <laughs> conversations. Like, like I, at first when he would say like, oh, yeah, we got, like I got to solve these problems. I was I was like, what is this guy talking about? Uh, but but actually, like John's approach is always that like that's what makes this interesting. And like when he said, I feel like this is very defensive. I'm like, when he says problems, <laughs> it's absolutely not pejorative. He, what he means is opportunities. Is, mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway. They're, they are opportunities to make a bad text good. <laughs> and so the problem here was that uh, it wasn't a problem. It was it was a really fun idea. But that it was that the, the duck and the mouse inside the wolf, um, it's revealed about, I guess, what, like a third of the way through the book. They can talk to the wolf and that it's not a big deal. I don't know if they've been doing it the whole, if the duck has been talking to the wolf before, but he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. But sort of staging that and making, because it's not really, it's mentioned, I guess, in the narration, but just showing how that works now that we separated the world of inside the wolf from outside the wolf. Um, it's a really simple sort of, it's just down the gutter. There's no real physical joining of the two things, but that was a decision in itself and sort of making sure that those two worlds are kept separate until they aren't anymore. Um, how to sort of join them and not when to join them and not to join them. Um, it's like you said, John, sort of keeping it clean the way a stage play would be kept, almost like you drop just a very simple barrier between the two worlds and you just sort of have to do the work in your head if you were watching a play like that because you couldn't stage them that big. Um, John, really early on, you did theater production design right like yeah yeah well that, that was my first one of my first jobs was like painting sets and stuff and it was always i remember uh that was such a big deal because we were working on sets this one day and someone was showing me a set design for a play and everything was skewed out it was a room with a table and a chair and a kitchen in it i think and all the everything was kind of weirdly angled towards the stage and i was talking to the guy about it because i was i think i was still in high school and i'd never seen anything like that up close and he says well yeah this is so the audience can see everything and they know that it's not the rooms aren't like this but it doesn't matter they want to see this stuff and it was like a huge like lightning bolt thinking like oh that's right the audience is in on this they're not expecting realism they want to see what they need to see 
And that's, I think, such a big lesson for just picture book illustration or just illustration or storytelling even. You can cheat as much as you want because the audience is there with you cheating. They're fine with it as long as the spell isn't broken and as long as they get the information they need. It's really fun that way. Well, just wrapping up real quick, but like, Mac, I think this is your fifth book out this year. You had four out last year. Do you find your in, your output is actively increasing? And are you basically okay with that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> am I okay with that? Yeah, I you know it's weird. It's 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 like in some ways, um, I I like the the work that that you do. I, it, it feels disconnected. <laughs> you I, I go into a room and wrestle with my own brain, and it feels um, it feels hard, and um, I I get mad at myself. They're really awful days. Like, I feel lazy. I, it feels like so often uh, the work doesn't come. Um, but then in the end, like, books come out. That, that's the nice part. I, like, I love being a writer. I'm proud of the work. Um, but I find the writing itself uh, really unpleasant. <laughs> like, I don't... Like, I remember one time we, John and I were doing a school visit together. And John turned... Uh, the easel around uh, when he did the drawing. Normally, if you draw in front of a class or a group of kids, you know the the artist will will draw on the easel facing forward, and everybody's amazed, and uh, and 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 the writer just stands there, uh, looking irrelevant to the process. Um, but this time, John was like, "I'm going to turn this easel around while I draw this picture, because drawing is something embarrassing that you should only do in private," and. The principal came up afterward and was so Wait a minute. mad. <laughs> but hold on, I think that story needs an needs needs an amendment. It wasn't that I turned it around for myself drawing; is that we had a volunteer kid come up to draw in front of people who asked to draw, and so I didn't want to make him nervous. But I think that the point holds. I do believe what I said. Yeah, the principal came up so mad afterwards, and <laughs> and, and but actually, like I think a lot of a lot of people who become writers or illustrators or artists or, would understand exactly what John's saying. Um, I certainly did. So I got into a fight with the principal. Uh, <laughs> because because it is. It's it's hard to be in that room. And, and so, yeah, like, it's nice when these books come out. But I'm, like, when I, I find myself kind of amazed because that's not what it feels like to be in the room. It doesn't feel like I'm getting a lot done. And, uh, you know, I, I know Square is coming out next year. Um, I think there's something about an early reader series as well. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, you have coming up, Mac? Sure, yeah. Uh, Square is coming out. Uh, and then John and I are doing uh, a third book about Shapes Circle. Um, and, and yeah, I have a, a series of early readers that Greg Pizzoli is illustrating. Um, and, and they're about a, a, a monkey named Jack. He's, he's very bad. He's always getting into trouble. And uh, there are going to be eight of those. Um, yeah. John, how about you? Uh, are you? Is your work with Square wrapped up at this point? And, and what else do you have coming up? <laughs> My work with Square is wrapped up. Did our editor ask you to ask no. that question? Have you been working on it the whole time that we've been recording this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah Just give me a minute and it's done. It's done. Square is finished. Yeah. But- yeah, they, now it becomes obvious that Candlewick did sponsor this podcast. Yeah, exactly. They're they are they are driving the question. I don't answer their emails anymore. So this is their <laughs> only way they can actually get at us. No, the uh, the square square book is finished and it's out next spring. And uh, we're working on the circle one. Um, and then after that, I I this is the first time in many 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 years where I don't know what I'm going to do after that, and it's very exciting and scary. 
Very good. And um, I guess one last question. Are you guys planning to get out on the road at all this fall? Um, maybe insult some more principals, anything like that? Uh, Mac? <laughs> yeah, please, have us to your school. Yeah, we'll teach your kids horrible lessons. And... <laughs> Um, yeah, we're going out on the road. We're going, we're doing, um, a lot of the, the West and the Southwest. So Montana, New Mexico, Utah, uh, Arizona, I think big states, I think Arizona, they're letting us drive around in Montana, which at first they didn't want to let us do. John and I like to like to drive instead of fly. Uh, but they don't like us to drive instead of fly because things always go wrong. <laughs> so yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be late to all of our bookstore visits in Montana because we'll be buying big hats for ourselves. <laughs> I think I've heard a few uh, hat stories about that. Um, uh, very good. Well, you know, congratulations uh, to both of you guys on the, on the new book, and thanks again for speaking with me. Thank you very much for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, once again, I've been talking with Mac Barnett and John Klassen, whose picture book, The Wolf, the Duck, and the Mouse, is being published in October by Candlewick. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. 